This is Paul Gallant on 710 ESPN Seattle. Weekdays at 10 on 710 ESPN Seattle. At Gallant Says on Twitter. Text into the show at 710-710. Hello and welcome aboard the Paul Gallant Show on Monday, August 30th of 2021. I am Paul Gallant and this is the most interactive sports talk show in Seattle. I heard just a moment ago ESPN voice guy saying, The Mariners salvaged their series. Against the Royals. Ah, well, salvage is clearly a subjective word uh, to me and to Mr. ESPN voice guy there because ugh, that one should not have happened. You should not have lost three of four to the Kansas City Royals. So I'm going to put on my New Balance shoes, hike up my white socks, and give my best dad impression. I'm not mad with the Mariners even though they blew a series to the Kansas City Royals. I'm disappointed. You should have split it, bare minimum. And to lose the first three and then squeeze it out at the end, too. I get the excitement. It's a close game. Jake Bowers is making some great plays in the outfield. But as I was watching the broadcast, I heard the enthusiasm. And to me, I know that if I were on the call, and perhaps this is why I don't do play-by-play, I would have let out an exasperated sigh that they were able to win one. Went to the game on Friday night, had a fun night at the ballpark. There's one man who ruined it. That one man was Salvador Perez, and he did this. And the 1-1 on the way. Perez, a swing and a fly ball into center field. Backing up Keldick to the one. He tracked to the wall. Leaps up and goodbye baseball. Another grand slam off the bat of Salvador Perez. And he ties the game at 5-5 here in the top of the fourth inning. Perez with a grand slam in last night's game. And a grand slam tonight. And we are tied at 5-5. I keep on saying Perez weird, so apologies for that. A texter called me out. Maura's laughing behind the glass. Perez. 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 You're doing an A instead of an E there. I I know. It's like a weird accent thing. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, Perez had a Grand Slam Thursday, as you heard on the call there with Riz. He had a Grand Slam on Friday. He had a two-run homer on Saturday. He had a two-run homer on Sunday. And when you're talking about... And also, he almost had another home run on Sunday that was super close to going out of the ballpark. And I don't know what Paul Seawalt thought was going down, but clearly Scott Service did not want him to challenge Perez. Did I say it? Dang it, I keep on doing it wrong. Perez, the way that he did. You got it now. Okay. I will never forget that mound visit for as long as I... uh... (laughs) Uh, and manage the game. Uh, certainly, it's the hottest hitter on the planet uh, the last four days, and, and you go out there, and, you know, with the guy getting on in front of him, uh, you know, I wanted to make sure we executed pitches, and uh, Paul assured me that he was not going to throw him anything he could hit. Uh, unfortunately, we did not execute, um, and we were actually very fortunate that the ball did hit the wall. Yeah, they, they did not execute. Why are you pitching to him? Why? Stop. I mean, honestly, on Friday, after they had the Grand Slam on Thursday, we watched this game at the ballpark. I'm I'm pretty sure I joked to Mike Lefko, producer of Wyman and Bob, who was also weirdly predicting everything that was happening at the game. It was kind of freaky. I, I, I think I joked, maybe they should just walk him intentionally. Then he hit the Grand Slam, and I'm like, oh, great. Okay, so now, now, it's, now it's a tie ball game. Wonderful. And, of course, they lose that game 
in extra innings. It's not the fault of the pitching that they lost. It's it's mainly the fault of, first off, Salvador Perez's existence, but also the fact that the Mariners were 9 for 36 with runners in scoring position, which I guess compared to the season numbers isn't that bad. And they also left 40 guys on base over the course of that four-game series. <sighs> but I did, come to, I did come to a realization out of this game. The reason that the Mariners are not so far removed from a team like the Royals, even though they are a plus 500 team and the Royals are a below 500 team, the Mariners look like they're going in the right direction. The Royals don't. The Mariners don't have a Salvador Perez. The Royals do. And that's the biggest reason why there's not a lot of separation. That's the biggest reason why a team like Kansas City can beat you. One guy takes over the entire weekend. You don't respect them the way that you probably should. He goes 7 for 17, 4 home runs, 12 runs batted in. And all of a sudden, I guess he's got the American League record for home runs by a catcher in a season with 38 to this point. Second in the American League, second in baseball with 38 home runs. He also has, I think, third in baseball in terms of, or in the American League in terms of runs batted in. He's really good. You don't have a guy like that. And I wonder if the Mariners will be aggressive swinging for the fences to go after somebody like that in free agency. Danny convinced me to not go about things that way this offseason. He laid out a couple of guys who have been brought in. And, of course, you remember here, Robinson Cano, Adrian Beltre, guys who were signed to big-time contracts who did not provide the difference that you would hope from a big-time free agent. So I guess I'm hoping that there will be somebody out there that they could potentially give a one-year, $20 million deal or something to, like a Marcus Simeon. But, I mean, Marcus Simeon's not going to do that for a second straight year, you would assume. He signed a one-year, $20-something million deal with Toronto after playing with Oakland, those cheapskates, for such a long period of time. Anyway, you need to get a guy like that. And I think right now all you can really do is sit back and let the oven continue to work and hope that the oven is going to bake you some magical superstar baseball players that are going to come out looking like unicorns with sprinkles and sparkles behind them. I don't know why I made that reference, but guess what? That's kind of what you're waiting for. You're, you're, you're hoping that somebody is going to turn into this just ridiculous player. And I don't know that definitively we're going to see it. Jared Kelnick did get a home run on Sunday. That's great, but, I mean, up and down a lot of it this year. Julio Rodriguez seems like he's still far away. Noel V. Marte, he's 19 years old, so still got a lot of time to wait, and there's a part of me that wants to just cut the line, go to the airport and get TSA pre-check or clear, skip that line and, and, and bring somebody in, even though it would probably involve spending big. And I think there's a part of this fan base that probably is looking at things and thinking that to themselves, to yourselves, I know I'm thinking this. I mean, we should spend something this offseason. So we'll see how they go about it. I'm not sold Seattle necessarily will swing for the fences, throwing a giant bag of bucks at some dude. But with the way that Salvador Perez looks and the way that Salvador Perez could single-handedly win a series for Kansas City, I do want them to get somebody that's got that kind of star power. Because Kyle Seeger, Mitch Hanniger, they don't quite have it. I'm Paul Gallant. It's the most interactive sports talk show in Seattle, and we're going to shift into this Seahawks preseason game. Between Marquise Blair, Alex Collins, D. Eskridge, and Daryl Taylor, who do you think had the best preseason game Saturday night as the Seahawks easily took down the Los Angeles Chargers 27-0? That was a real complete effort. You don't see complete efforts in preseason games very often like that. In fact, you don't see complete <laughs> effort from efforts the long efforts the wrong way to say it. You don't see complete and dominant performances like that from the Seahawks ever, right? I mean, every game, it's 
you know, went in the first quarter or in the second quarter or in the third quarter. You went in in the fourth quarter. I would love some blowouts like that so I could sit back, put my feet up, relax, not care, cackle at the misfortunes of the opposing team. But, I mean, from Geno Smith to the defense, everyone looks really good in this game. And the guy who stole the show is Alex Collins. The Seahawks are going to need to run the football effectively this season if they're going to go anywhere. I know that we want to see Russell Wilson unlock a new level, but, I mean, if you were paying attention down the stretch last season, they were running the football not nearly enough. They couldn't do it. And Russ was throwing it almost, they were calling passing plays for Russ almost twice as many times as they were calling handoffs. Chris Carson was banged up. Carlos Hyde was banged up. I can sort of understand why. Well, you've got a lot of depth at running back right now. Rashad Penny, he played okay. Actually, check that. He played better than okay. He played well. He played well in Saturday night's game, but Alex Collins stole the show. I mean, there was a play where he catches a screen pass, and he was able to juke a couple of guys, then turn back to his right and run to the entire other side of the field. He was making people miss. He was bouncing off of tackles. He was reading his blocks well. I mean, he looked really, really good, like the kind of running back that almost ran for 1,000 yards with the Baltimore Ravens back a couple of seasons ago. It was against backups. You don't want to put too much stock into it, but whatever he has been doing since last offseason, I hope that he keeps it up because he didn't look like that when he was with the Seahawks at the end of last year and after he had spent some time away from the game. He did not look like that last year. This year, he looks, he looks electric. We got more takeaways from the Seahawks preseason game. We'll talk about some of them with Michael Bumpus in the sports bit at 10.30. You can watch the Paul Gallant Show, 710sports.com slash video. You can also listen with your smart speaker with the 710 app. This hour of the Paul Gallant Show is brought to you by Advanced Hair Restoration. 710-710 is the Mac and Jack's Brewing Company text line. We'll work in some of your texts on the most interactive sports talk show in Seattle. But right now it's time for What's Trending, brought to you by Kings Heating and Air with Maura Dooley. Maura, yo, what is up? Yo. <laughs> Preseason's over, Paul. Thank God. We some real live action here soon. Uh, I feel so many times that I am spirit animals with <laughs> Dave Wyman because as that game drew towards the end, he was just, those referees who were throwing flags for no reason, keep it in your pants. It did feel long, and I couldn't tell if it was just that I'm so amped for the regular season or if it was just a really long game. I had a hard time staying completely attentive in the fourth quarter. Yeah. Not going to lie. It was great to see Alex Collins in there at the very least, which was interesting too. You wonder, wait, why is Alex Collins in here for the entirety of the game? Maybe they were trying to see if he could prove that he could, I don't know, shoulder a full load for a full game or something like that. It was a little yeah. weird though. It was weird. Well, I mean, I guess they kept DJ Dallas out because he had a little bit of a tweak. And True. Homer's still not ready, so they didn't have a ton of options. But who's the other one? Rashad Penny was the only yeah. other guy out there. And, uh, yeah, you're not going to put Chris Carson out there either. So. Wasn't there, like, Josh Johnson or something? Yeah, he's not making there's, the there's team. There's one other. Yeah. Yes. No, but, well, they, I mean, in the fourth quarter. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. True. Yeah. They I, were a little shorthanded this long. I'll be, I'll be honest more. I was like, I don't know who that guy is. And, <laughs> and no offense to that person. I, I wish all of them very well. I hope that they all make the roster. But, yeah, I don't know who that guy is. And I, uh, I was at the point where I'm like, yeah. I'm ready to move on, but I'm glad it's done. Um, other guys who stood out, Marquise Blair, Daryl Taylor. Marquise Blair, I could just see. I loved seeing before every play, you could like see his fingers twitching, and he was like taking little steps. Like not nothing that would get you a false start, but he was just you could just tell there was like electricity going through. Yeah, him. he was so ready on every play. I love uh, seeing him get out there, and you just know that he's waiting to hit someone. Perhaps an unfair comparison, or maybe it's just because I'm I'm jonesing to see him back on the field. But 
Jamal Adams-esque in that he was all over the field. Really good at blitzing, but also found himself in pretty good position on a couple of passes mm-hmm. in terms of just standing in the passing lanes and stuff. If you were concerned, I guess, about him being able to bounce back quickly from uh, the knee injury, he seems very confident where Rashad Penny's still taking a little bit of time to get past that one. And it's it's been a little longer for, for Rashad Penny, that's for sure, that he's been able to recover. Blair looks ready to go. And that excites me because they need guys like Blair and Taylor to step up if their defense is going to, I guess, get better over time. Um, Also, uh, D. Eskridge had a couple of nice plays, looking really fast on a speed sweep. It was funny. I I could just sense that he was feeling good following that convoy of blockers, but I, I, as... You can tell when a running someone running with the football is like, oh man, I just wish I had a little bit of space so I can completely go full speed. He was almost looking like he was tiptoeing out there, running like Fred Flintstone, which uh, amused me. Um, and also, he had a really nice catch over the middle of the field, too. Yeah, which is great to see because I know he'll still need some time to come along because of all the training camp that he missed. But in the past, we've seen that set rookies really far back for like LJ Collier and Rashad Penny when they missed time in training camp. And it doesn't look like he's going to be too far off. That his his raw talent is showing enough that you you think he'll be able to catch up this season. I know Jake Heaps said that he he believes he'll be actually I should just go ahead and play the sound for you. He was very emphatic in his belief in Eskridge last week. Now with two weeks left to go in terms of his preparation to get ready for week one, I have zero doubt if D. Eskridge can stay healthy and not have any setbacks, he will be the number three receiver and he will make significant contributions. What I saw from him yesterday, this is a guy that can be a legitimate difference maker. Not a gadget guy, but a legitimate difference maker at the receiver position and help this offense be that much more dynamic with all the other weapons that they have. I was really excited about what I saw from D. Eskridge yesterday. And that was following last Wednesday's practice. And keep in mind, too, that Jake is probably talking to his friend Russell Wilson about what he sees in him, too, for some confirmation. Wouldn't you think? So, and think about this, too. D. Eskridge has been showing up early to every single practice uh, with Russell Wilson, and they've been working together. Hearing that from Jake excites me. That's for sure. It's a bummer for Freddie Swain, perhaps, because he had played really well thus far in training camp. That's true. But if Eskridge has some sort of special speed to him or something like that, then you got to put him on the field. We already have two really special wide receivers. I know. You isn't got a that third nuts? to that mix. I know. Chris Carson. Don't put those expectations on him to this point, though. All I will say is he, considering that was the first that we saw him on the field, there's a lot to be excited about <laughs> over two plays. All right, well, one uh, veteran on the roster that there is some concern over is safety Quandre Diggs and his hold-in going on right now. Pete Carroll yeah. did address that after the game as well. Um, we'll see. We'll, t- we'll talk about it. And uh, we, we've had great conversations, and, and, uh, and it's important that we were able to, to you know, really address the, the, you know, where he is and where he's coming from, and I got a chance to hear him out and, and all of that. And, and I, I think the world of this guy, he's, he's an amazing competitor, tough as, tough as hell in, in, in every way. And uh, really, I can't imagine not playing with him. I love Quandre Diggs a lot. I had a blast getting to know him right after he got traded to the team. We played a game of NBA 2K against one another. He is, I think, a hilarious follow on Twitter. Like, I like everything about him. I like him as a player, too. I Really, I think he's really well-rounded 
And I'm curious as to what Seattle's going to do here because Pete was very complimentary of him. You just saw another big safety deal go down. Not quite as much as Jamal Adams, but Harrison Smith of the Minnesota Vikings, who's, I think, more comparable to someone like Quandre Diggs than Jamal Adams is. Rangy, but can hit. He just got four years and $64 million. I mean, if you're Quandre Diggs, you, I would imagine you're looking at the very least for something like three years and, and, and 45 or something like that, you know? Because if you're playing at a high level and you see everybody else at that position that is making north of $10 million, you're going to want that too. So I'm curious as to where where they come to an agreement here. If he were not to sign that deal, he would be scooped up in a heartbeat by some team. He has played that well, and they would probably pay him that kind of money. So something to keep in I mind. I think the only reason he was under the radar coming here was because he was stuck in Detroit. Yep, and they're playing him at nickel corner as opposed to mostly at, at safety. And, uh, you know, you move him over to safety, and you're seeing the results, that's for sure. That is what's trending. Brought to you by Kings Eating and Air. It's kind of weird that I sip coffee through a straw, right? just wanted to let everybody know that I do that so I don't get my teeth yellow. Thanks for informing us. You're welcome. 710sports.com slash video. 206-421-3776 is how you call it. You can text it to 710-710 on the Mac and Jack's Brewing Company text line. Who was the most impressive player in the Seahawks preseason game on Saturday night? Was it Alex Collins? D. Eskridge? Daryl Taylor? Marquise Blair? Somebody else that I'm missing? You get to answer that next. It's your chance to be heard. Your voice, your opinions. It's time to be heard. Every day at 1015 with Paul Gallant. Be heard. We will also work in Mariners questions as they come. 710-710. The Mac and Jack's Brewing Company text line. One texter, Alex Collins looked better than Penny. Cut Penny. You don't cut Penny. You need Penny for depth. And anyone who's going to go with this Penny's a bust thing, Penny averages five yards a carry for his career. He has played in the NFL at a level where he showed he belonged. Then he got hurt. I think anything else to call the guy a bust, he proved he belonged and then he got hurt. Was he a first-round draft pick that was someone that you're going to look back on and say, yeah, this was a good pick? Probably not. But the guy can play. He has proven that. He just got to somehow get back to the guy he used to be. And Collins, Collins just looked a lot better. Another text in, 710-710. John and Pete need to bite the bullet and realize they made a mistake using a first-round pick on Rashad Penny. The man has lost a step, doesn't look the same. I don't entirely disagree with the fact that he may have lost a step. I don't entirely disagree with that. I'm hoping he can get it back. I still think it's possible for him to get it back, but there's... I've just noticed in training camp, it's been... He's been running a little... Tentatively, deferentially. I'm not exactly 100% sure the word to use to describe it, but it's there's a there seems to be a little confidence missing. I think he got closer to getting it back on Saturday. I, want, I, I thought he played well, but Collins, man, his footwork is impeccable. And to the point where I, I think that every single future running back might need to take Irish step dancing. The dance of my people. 206-421-3776. That is how you call into the Paul Gallant Show, the most interactive sports talk show in Seattle right here, 710 ESPN Seattle. Jason is in Everett. Jason, what's going on? Hey, how you doing today? Doing well, Jason. What you got? Oh, man. I thought, I, I mean, I know he didn't play on Saturday, but I thought DJ Dallas looked fantastic. Um, and I thought he looked very, uh, way more improved than last year. And I'm, 
excited we have him as a backup. Yeah, you know, and he's gotten a lot of reps in training camp. He's gotten some catches thrown his way, passes thrown his way as well. And it looks like he might be a third down option that Russell Wilson is actually going to look at when he's on the field as a, as a running back. Now, that said, I, I want Chris Carson to get more throws. I feel like all the Seahawks running backs in some way, shape, or form should be involved. Maybe that's not, the, not something you're going to get a whole lot out of with Alex Collins. But, yeah, Dallas has played well. And, you know, he gives you some things on special teams, too. He's a pretty good player out there. So I, I like what I've seen from him as well. I don't know if he's the number one guy this entire preseason. I, I thought Rasheem Green's done some really good things too. Um, but I, Dallas would definitely be in the top five in terms of guys that we have seen this preseason. Absolutely. Good stuff, Jason. Appreciate the phone call. If you want to jump aboard the most interactive sports talk show in Seattle, 206-421-3776. Man, some of y'all are just being mean to Rashad Penny. Uh, trade Penny to the Ravens for – I'm not going to finish that. Look, guys, you're not going to get that much in return for Rashad Penny either. What's wrong with having him on the team? What's wrong with it? Last year, he couldn't play because he's coming back from the torn ACL because he suffered that in December. It takes a while to get back from an injury like that. And he never was 100%. Don't punt with him just yet. You need to have as many running backs as you possibly can have, don't you? I mean, if you want to run the football more effectively – you're going to need to have someone behind Chris Carson on the off chance that Chris Carson gets hurt. That happens. It's happened every single, just about every single season that he's played. I love Carson. I think he's a fantastic player, but that's something you've you got to keep in mind. And there's also, as much as I want to see more Chris Carson, like I feel like he should get a bigger workload, there's also an element of how much of a workload do you want to give him? Because it seems like he's at his most effective when he's getting like 19 to 20 carries. I would like to see him get more touches than that, but also I think I've got this old school mindset where I want to give every good running back like bell cow, uh, bell cow share of reps. And there's an element of that might not actually work. I'm a big fan of Josh Jacobs running back in, in, in Las Vegas, and they gave him an advanced workload last year. And I think the thought process is that they have going into this season, they bring in Kenyon Drake so that he'll have somebody to spell him. And it's not going to be him carrying the ball 26, 27 times a game. Instead, he's going to be getting it like 18 times a game like he was getting at Alabama. And there's an element of that where you want to get that out of Carson, but also you want to have guys behind Carson to move on from Penny now. Like, why? Why would you do that? Do you guys totally forget what happened in that game against the Philadelphia Eagles? I mean, he was great in that game. He had the big touchdown run. He's had a couple of moments in this league where he's, he's looked good. Yeah, not a first-round pick, but I, I, I don't think that this has completely set you back, drafting this guy. The draft is much more of a crapshoot than you guys are willing to admit, and this is not like... You know, Malik McDowell, much worse pick. You know, he didn't do anything for you, and he did something stupid off the field, and, you know, thankfully he's okay. And I guess, what, the Dolphins are, are potentially... I don't know if he's still on the Dolphins. We'll find out in the next, like, 72 hours or so. But, you know, that's that's the bad pick that we should be talking about. I'm Paul Gallant. This is the Paul Gallant Show, 710 ESPN Seattle. More Dually Behind the Glass coming up next in the Sports Pit we go, and we'll talk about the Seahawks preseason victory. 27 nothing a drubbing of the Los Angeles Chargers with Michael Bumpus. Don't go anywhere. It's 1030, and that means it's time to get in the sports pit. In the pit where all that stuff goes down, and if you don't have some freaking toughness, you're going to get your, you're going you're to fail. With Paul Gallant. And joining me right now in the sports pit on the SFR Pass Control Hotline, it is Michael Bumpus. Bump, that was a complete... Dominant preseason effort on Saturday. A welcome sight after the first two games. The offense couldn't get much going, and the defense just was on the field for a long period of time, slowly getting bled to death. 
What up, Galant? Yeah, man, that's everything every 12 wanted to see. The first two weeks, we're trying to calm everyone down. We're saying, look, just look at individual battles. But now I'm telling folks, I'm like, yeah, look at the individual battles and look at that score because this is the performance you wanted to see. The defense gets on the board first with the uh, the fumble recovery for a touchdown by Blair. And then the offense just moves the ball down the field. We started seeing that jet sweep look we wanted to see, attacking the middle of the field. It just felt like a football team that could win some ball games prior to that. Um, it looked kind of suspect, but we knew that once there were more starters in there, this offense and defense should look a bit more efficient. You mentioned with the jet sweep, D. Eskridge running that jet sweep to the right. Dude, that got me so excited, mainly because he had this convoy of blockers in front of him, and it looked like he was tiptoeing while he was running. And it just made me think, man, if he got into the open field, we would actually get to see just how football fast this guy is. I know you've been big on Freddie Swain this this preseason, and honestly, I, I have been too. But do you think that Eskridge perhaps closed the gap when it comes to the number three wide receiver position with those two flashy plays he did, the other one being that jump and catch he made? He definitely closed the gap. Um, he reminded the – really just reminded us. Yeah, I'm sure the the coaches, the staff, they knew kind of what they had in the Eskridge. They knew that he was going to compete for that third receiver spot. It's still Freddie Freddie Swain's spot, but I just think that D. Eskridge kind of put some heat on him. And you talk about that jet sweep. What I like most about that jet sweep was kind of what you mentioned. He was fast but patient. Right, he yeah. understands that. Okay, I need these big boys in front of me to pick up these yards. I'm not just gonna, you know, be inexperienced and fly up the football field and then going across the middle making that that catch going up top to go get it. He looked like he belonged and he looked just fluid and efficient. So he clo- he's closing that gap, man. I think Freddie Swain is still gonna get the bulk of the the reps when it comes to that first week. But after that, if D. Eskers can show more and more of what we saw the other night, Paul. It's uh, it's not going to be too long before they gotta they gotta make the switch with Freddie. Yeah, he was he was really exciting, and definitely you see that running back background that he has. Speaking of running backs, Alex Collins. Uh, have you ever considered taking Irish step dance bump? I know you have great <laughs> footwork, being a former slot wide receiver, but man, that guy was dancing all over the place. Alex Collins looked good, man. Seventeen touches, ten carries for thirty seven yards. Now it doesn't impress you, right? You're saying, oh well, that's only three point seven yards a carry. It was the way it looked, man. Yeah. He was snatching ankles out there. He was getting north south. He was running with power. He had seven catches for fifty two yards, seven point four average along for fourteen. He just showed everyone, look, I can do whatever this team asked me to do. You want me to run up the A and the B gap? I can do that. You want me to get outside and break some ankles? Don't trip. I can do that, too. You want me to catch a football and score a touchdown doing it? Or not, they ran for a touchdown, but uh, you want me to catch a football? I can do that as well. Freddie Swain is making a strong case to be that number two running back. The only thing that I think is going to stop him is just they're going to allow Penny to lose the spot. I think they've invested in him. They've been patient with him. This is his last opportunity to show something. But two or three weeks in, it's kind of like, it's kind of like Penny and Swain are, are sort of in the same boat. If Swain gets overtaken by D, he's not going to be pushed to the side, but he's going to be bumped right. down the depth chart. If Penny gets is overtaken by Collins, man, I think DJ is that number three, and we slowly start to see Penny get phased out. Yeah, why do you think they left Collins in as long as they did in that game? <laughs> yeah, you know, I was talking to uh, to Robert Turbin, and we we're talking about that during the game, and I think they're sure in what they have in DJ Dallas. And I think that they wanted to give Alex Collins every opportunity to take that spot from mm. Penny. End of the day, I really think Penny's going to be that guy. But I think they're like, look, man, 
Uh, we have a battle going on here. We don't want to risk Penny getting hurt. We want to at least give him a chance to keep his job during the regular season. We know he's not durable. There's one tackle, Paul, where he got him kind of slow. And yeah, he did. I saw <laughs> that too. Yeah, man. I'm like, come on, Penny, man. Come on, don't be hurt. And I yeah. think that kind of that kind of deterred them away as well from giving him, giving him a bunch of carries. But it was just seeing what Alex Collins can do. I don't think it was anything saying that. Look, you're tr- you're battling to make this team. It was just Penny's fragile. They didn't want to risk it. Let's go over to the defensive side of the ball. Michael Bumpus in the sports pit with me on the Paul Gallant Show. Daryl Taylor and Marquise Blair, I thought they both played really well in this game. Who do you think yeah. played better? Who played better? I, Blair had the bigger play. Yep. You know, yeah, touchdown. You yeah, touchdown. You, you can't beat that. I think Daryl Taylor was probably more consistent. The way he fires off the football is, is fun to watch. Mm-hmm. Again, um, name dropping again. I'm with Paul Moore up in the press box, right? <laughs> and... You know, we, we, we zoned in on him for one play. Every now and then, me and Paul will get together. We're like, all right, let's look at this player for this one game. And we happen to look at Daryl Taylor. And the way he's firing off the ball and bending that corner, he looks natural doing it. And I had to remind Paul, I'm like, man, this is only his second year, really his first year. You know, and he's at a new position, too. Like, this guy is going to keep evolving. So I would say Marquise Blair had the bigger play. But then I would say Daryl Taylor probably played the best overall because – Chase Daniels was running for his life most most of the game. And I think that's what we wanted to see. And Daryl Taylor was a big part of that. But I also want to point out the interior. Uh, Kerry Hyder was was getting uh, guys in the backfield and pushing centers and guards back. So it was a a family affair out there, man. I I love seeing those guys ball out. Even Geno Smith looking pretty good out there, too. Geno looking young, man. I I didn't know he had that in him, Paul. I didn't either. That was a nice scramble that he had. Yeah, I I knew he was mobile. I knew he wasn't your statue-type quarterback, but he showed a burst that – I haven't seen since he was what at West Virginia, so yeah. that was fun to watch too. It sure, it sure has been a while. Uh, Bump, I don't know if you've seen this video, but uh, Big Cat has tagged me in this. Uh, Ven Cat, he he tweeted this at me. It's this video of of Trent Dilfer on the sideline in a high school game, and to, and to provide a little context, basically it seems like he is just getting into a very heated exchange with the player, and he's essentially like physically moving him to the bench and telling him to sit down and yelling at him along the way. I don't know what the player did before that led up to this moment. It's definitely an interesting moment. Having been a coach, and especially if you're coaching like high school kids, what's the appropriate way to handle, I guess, a kid if he's out of line on the sideline? Well, back in my day, my coach used to grab you by the face mask, pull you by the shoulder pads, even like give you a little punch in the chest. You just can't do that anymore. Now, verbally, you can get at these kids. If you have developed a relationship with them to where they love you and they trust you and they know that this is coming from a a, a good place, you're not just belittling them in front of everybody, you can get after a kid and you have to understand what each kid can handle, right? I had a right. kid who's at Eastern Washington right now. He's probably going to start a receiver. Man, I can get at this kid any way I wanted to, but he trusts me and he loved me and he knew that I'm doing this to make him better. Now, there are kids who are only just going to play high school football who live a different life, who parents raise them differently, no knock on them, but you just can't get at them like that. Putting your hands on kids, that's where it gets kind of kind of yeah. sketchy. You know, this is 2021. You have to be extremely careful. There's cameras everywhere, and the culture has shifted a little bit. You don't put your hands on kids, but if you want to get aggressive verbally, as long as you have that type of relationship, you can do it. That is Coach Bump. And Coach Bump is great at coaching everything. I've said this before. Coach Bump like made me actually not terrible at golf for five seconds. <laughs> it was great. It was a great five seconds of my life and my athletic career. Bump, always appreciate you joining me, and we'll talk to you again on Wednesday. Hi, Gallant. Holla, man. That is Michael Bump. It's at Michael Bump. is five. He joins us in Danny and Gallant in the Wednesday and Friday, 8 o'clock hour. Very much looking forward to having him on three times a week once football season begins. 
We're so, so close. The preseason in the rearview mirror. You got any questions about that game? 710-710 is the Mac and Jack Brewing Company text line. Who played the best? 206-421-3776. If there's someone I'm missing, let me know. And also, how do you get, if you're the Mariners, that player that's of Salvador Perez's caliber that can single-handedly win a series? Do you just wait for it to develop? Or do you spend and buy it this offseason? That next, don't go anywhere. You're listening to Paul Gallant. Powered through the Alaska Airlines Studio. Every day at 10 on 710 ESPN Seattle. Seattle. Most interactive sports talk show in Seattle. 206-421-3776 is how you call in. You can call also text into 710-710 or get after me on Twitter. Akalant says, so as far as the Mariners go, you want to have a Salvador Perez type. I keep on saying Perez weird. You got to go, I think, short, sweet, simple with any moves that you might make for a big bat this offseason. You've learned from Albatross contracts before. They're tough to get off the books. Yes, you got Jared Kelnick out of it last time with Robinson Cano, but what happens next time around? And it just very rarely seems to work out at the end of those deals. They're just these big, giant husks hanging out, especially as these guys get into their late 30s. That said, I I am a little impatient. (laughs) And I wish that they had someone that was like that because that's why the Mariners aren't light years ahead. Not even light years necessarily. Just a bit ahead of a team like Kansas City. They're not. I mean, the Mariners are slightly ahead of the middle of the pack, to be perfectly frank. Nothing wrong with that. I mean, a lot of young talent still coming up. But a player like Salvador Perez can close the gap between two teams like that. Other texts, and this has to do with the Seahawks and their preseason game. A lot of talk about um, Rashad Penny. Paul, I don't know how you can defend Penny so much. Yes, he's had two good games in the last three years. Hardly worth keeping around above anyone else. Another text, Penny has wasted space on the roster. Another, it looks bad for Penny because he was selected ahead of Sony Michelle and Nick Chubb. Yeah, I would agree. I mean, that's not his fault. As far as the first two parts, if you get rid of Rashad Penny, you're not saving yourself any money, really. I mean, yeah, you get like $1 million of extra space, but you're also going to have, I think, something like $2 million of space, which is just burnt. You can't use it on anybody. You really want to do that? I mean, why not just hold on to the card, see how, see what happens the last year of his contract. If it doesn't work out, you move on. Nothing wrong with that. But, yeah, some of you guys, bloodthirsty. Absolutely bloodthirsty out there. Text in, Alex Collins looked like Alvin Kamara. Calm down. Calm down. Uh, that is That deserves a nice bucket. You need to uh, sit down, take a deep breath. He is not looking like Alvin Kamara. That is a guy who is the best running back in football in terms of just overall skill set. His ability to catch the football, his ability to juke, to deke. Uh, maybe that's the comparison you're trying to make in terms of his elusiveness. But in terms of just being that complete package, no, he's not that. However, I am excited about him, and you should be excited about him too. Other things I am excited about. You know, Daryl Taylor in that game finally showed me what we heard all offseason long, hype-wise, and right after he got drafted, too. He is so quick off the edge, and he's finally starting to perfect that one pass rush move that's going to give him an advantage on a lot of tackles, at the very least early on in his career. It's hard to win based off of speed or power alone, but if you have one or the other, 
it's a great foundational place to start off with. Ask any pass rusher. Uh, I used to work with one in, in Houston, Seth Payne, and also listening to Chris Long's podcasts. You, you get that first move. Don't focus on learning a million different things. Just get that one. And he's when he's running off the edge, he dips his left shoulder in a way, and, and he, you, you've just seen it slowly improve over the course of training camp into that game. So I, I was excited to see just the progression as far as that play went. Uh, also, I'd say defensively, Marquis Blair, you know, it's it's not even been a year since he blew out his knee against New England in the second game of the year. But when he was blitzing, when he was in passing lanes, he always felt like he was in the right place at the right time. And you just need to have more playmakers on this defense. Sadly, you don't have enough at this point in time. Someone got upset when I suggested that the Seahawks defense could be a lot like the defense we saw in the first half of the season. You don't think that's possible? With some of the questions that they have at the cornerback position? Look, they, did, they, they, they were a lot better in the second half of the season, but they were going up against quarterbacks like Colt McCoy and Dwayne Haskins. Jared Goff. One time, Jared Goff with, without a thumb. Banged up Kyler Murray. Carson Wentz behind, like, the worst offensive line in the NFL at the time? I mean, they, they feasted. But now that they don't really know outside of DJ Reed who, the, who, who their corners are going to be, they're going to need other playmakers to step up. It can't just be, all right, Jamal Adams, Bobby Wagner, do something. You know, Bobby, I, I don't think Bobby's a bad player. And I think everyone, whenever they hear me, like, say, like, I, I want more out of Bobby Wagner. Well, I do want more out of Bobby Wagner. He's getting paid a lot. But Wagner's not creating the same kind of impactful, like, difference-making plays that he, that he did in the past. It's great when he blitzes, but, you know, the, what's happening over the middle? Is he making interceptions? Is he, is he forcing fumbles or anything like that? And if, if you're asking for Wagner and for Adams to, to make a difference, you're, you're probably going to be, you know, just waiting and waiting and waiting some more. Jordan Brooks is going to need to step up, too. But seeing Taylor and Blair in this game against largely backups excited me. Something you got to keep in mind, though, because it's the third preseason game of the year. There's a reason that some of these guys are looking good because there's a lot of guys in there that are likely not going to be on any NFL team in the very near future. 710-710 is the Mac and Jack's Brewing Company text line. Paul, why no love for Cody Barton? That is my bad. Cody Barton did play well. I'm sure that you'll hear enough Cody Barton love on Wyman and Bob this afternoon because I know Dave Wyman, Dave Wyman loves Cody Barton and he must have loved that he absolutely crushed Chase Daniel, who's somehow still in the league and knocked him out of the game. Uh, Nick Ballore played pretty well too. Ballore's going to be an interesting person to, to watch when the roster cutdowns come because he is somebody that can give you special teams, linebacker depth, and a fullback. You know, if this were New England, like Bill Belichick would be like, oh, yeah, look at this guy. At least privately. Of course, he'd be like mumbling about him in, in, in public. But that is an interesting, I think, player. Uh, so, yeah, I think he'll end up making it. Can they keep five running backs on the roster? I wonder about that with Travis Homer. I don't, I don't really see the benefit of keeping Homer as a fifth running back if you feel like DJ Dallas is kind of your third down running back. Alex Collins looks like, at least based off of the workload that they gave him in the preseason, he would be essentially the guy that's getting the majority of the carries should Chris Carson get injured. 
And I guess Rashad Penny's just going to be your change of pace guy um, or se- secondary option who's got like a bit of a home run threat to him. Homer, I don't know how he factors in other than on special teams. I really don't. Um, wish him the best, though. <laughs> I know a lot of people think I don't like him. No, it's just, whenever he's out there and he has the ball in his hands, on a third and seven draw, sorry, I don't want, I don't want to see it. I haven't too much last year. I'm Paul Gallant. This was the Paul Gallant Show. Big thanks to Michael Bumpus who stopped by in the sports pit. Make sure you subscribe to the podcast. Big thanks to Maura Dooley behind the glass, to our caller, Jason, to our texters, our tweeters every single day. I am merely Paul Gallant. So long, farewell. Happy Monday. Jake and Stacy are next.